Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic is leading IT during the Great Attrition. So we know what has happened in the last few months. We've had uh, people quitting or they are demanding unaffordable wages. And that is what is causing a lot of turbulence. People were taken aback. They were taken by surprise. And this has happened, of course, across uh, the different business functions and companies and industries. However, the focus here is to see what is CIO's group or the IT group doing to deal with it. And especially one, one is to deal with it, but second is not to give up and or feel intimidated by it or paralyzed by it, but instead continue to lead IT to do great things, even though the great attrition has hit us. So to discuss this, uh, we have uh, Shahreen Oli Mohammed, who's the Chief Information and Digital Officer with Shell. Hey, Shahreen, how are you? Hey, Sanjog, I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? Good very morning. Very good. Can't complain. I'm beautiful. Good morning to you as well. And it's evening for you. Morning for me. That's awesome. And um, so let's jump right in since I've set the, the context here, which is the great attrition. People are leaving left and right. They may have their own motivations. But then we also in the organizations are trying to figure out uh, what to do given people are organizations and essentially, and we are trying to innovate. We want to move at hundred miles an hour, but all of that was definitely impacted by this great attrition. So what, in what way, let's, let's look at the impact. Let's look at the, the places where it did make a dent within IT departments and organizations. What have you seen? Um, it is real. Um, it's happening across the board, I think in some countries more than others. I think in the US, it's a little bit more pronounced than some other markets. Um, I'm seeing it as more of a great realignment as opposed to the great attrition. So why am I saying that? So what I've observed is uh, this presents, well, people have come to the realization have come to certain realizations that they hadn't in the past. Um, there are a few different themes. One theme is around, hey, what are my priorities in life and how does that align with the work I'm doing? Another theme could be, what are my interests and passions? Um, uh, am I doing what is aligned to my values? Uh, am I doing what really brings me joy? Um, uh, am I being treated in the way I want to be treated, etc.? So I think there's a convergence of these various themes, which is now leading people to um, take stock and make and have the courage to make decisions um, to to move, for instance. Um, so I'd say to that, it is real. It is happening. Um, it is a challenge, but I also think there is a great opportunity in this for both employers and uh, employees alike. If you can find that sweet spot, but I'm sure we'll come to it um, in a moment. So when we look at this, the, the fact that it is real and it has taken us by surprise, and frankly, the, some of the reasons you told was almost like a wake-up call for individuals. What are they doing about their life versus what they're doing as an employee? So we can understand it to some extent and empathize. But at the same time, the business does uh, get a shock. Business does not get the time, if you will, to plan for it. So with that said, what is it that you feel uh, has happened with organizations? Is that a knee-jerk reaction that we, we try to figure out, we start scrambling, or businesses have started, or IT departments within those businesses have uh, kept their cool 
and uh, are taking a step back and reevaluating. Mm. So I don't see chaos and mayhem. I do see a challenge and I do see in some instances a burning platform. So what, why do I say that? Um, there have been instances where we were caught by surprise. Uh, but in many of the instances uh, where we had high employee engagement, where the teams uh, uh, were highly engaged and communicative with each other, uh, we could plan for it as well. Um, and uh, I think this is an important lever that organizations can pull, i.e. IE planning. But um, uh, to answer your question, it, it, it's not always chaos. Yes, in some instances, we were caught off guard where folks uh, had said that they want to leave and we don't have a backup. Um, but it didn't occur at a large scale across the board that led us to um, be crippled, right? Um, now, so that's one part. Uh, the other part is also around uh, the market uh, is, is hot. The tech market is hot. Um, so as much as we see folks leaving, we also see um, a really good pool of candidates uh, for roles that are being posted, right? Be it backfill or, or other roles. Um uh, and that's interesting because I think what I'm seeing now is a kind of filtration uh, where, at least on our side, we're a lot more cognizant of um, elements such as right shared values and, and culture and, and these are the real um, uh, building blocks of retention, right? So, so to put it simply, I, I don't see a large-scale devastation. Um, in some instances, it's been painful. Um, in some instances, that has allowed us the opportunity to think differently and, and perhaps plan for it a little bit better and, and help um, uh, uh, folks within the organization um, uh, plan out even if, if that's where they want to go, right? So I think it is a situation where we can manage it in a controlled manner, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. So, so one is that's a good news. The way at least you presented that it is not that we the organizations crumbled, if you will. Uh, they had the backup, but then it is also a function of a company like Shell, which has got quite a history and it's got its business uh, processes and people related things figured out, and it's a mature organization. There may be a different. Uh, outcome of this uh, attrition for companies of different sizes or maturity levels. So let's let's kind of keep that aside for a second, but let's talk about uh, the roles that we want to create and or fill or even envision. When we are in such a flux and you are trying to figure out, uh, you know, how will you fill the, the gaps because of the attrition, is it still a good idea to continue with our grand workforce planning and strategic workforce capability development when we are dealing with this chaos? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, it's more important than ever uh, for us to actively plan for it. So what, what do I mean by that? So, so for us, for instance, uh, we try now to get ahead of the curve. So we tried to get a view of um, our roadmap sort of 12 or one to three years in and, and associated capabilities that are gonna be needed and sort of high level scheduling. Um, now what that, so in the past we weren't always doing that and, and that's where we found ourselves in a little bit of a um, uh, firefighting mode, right? Hey, we need to start these projects. Uh, we don't have people. And then you rush to find people. You might settle for perhaps not the best fit. Um, that leads to, you know, uh, unhappiness on both sides. And that then contributes to, to it. So it's a vicious cycles. So I think it's monumentally important, um, uh, more so now than ever, to uh, actively plan for it. Now, when you, when you have a forward view of you, things happen. A, um, obviously you have the ability then to take 
the time to find the right person without the time pressures. I mean, recruitment takes time in and of itself. Um, uh, this also gives us the ability to uh, plan for it internally, right? So um, move people around internally, allow um, orchestrate growth, for instance. So you might have uh, a person who's in role at the, at the moment um, uh, and, and the project might end in, say, six months. You know, could we then plan to move these individuals into other projects that's coming up and allowing for upskilling to take place in the meantime? Um, that results in um, uh, a win-win situation, really, right? Where you're for, a, forced to understand as well uh, your people and their aspirations um, and then you're actively participating in uh, growing them uh, uh, whilst also leveraging um, the corporate knowledge, et cetera, and the experiences that folks internally have, as opposed to have, having to recruit from outside, on board, et cetera. So I think planning is monumentally important and is absolutely a critical lever for this. One was the recruitment in the older times, or when I say older means pre this great iteration time where we had some assumptions made, some experience dealing with people with a certain mindset. Would you say you would start looking at workforce differently because of this wake up call or other themes that you mentioned, which would have, which actually led to the great iteration? and start looking at your workforce differently? And if yes, in which areas and how? I think um, this has, sh I, I think it was always there, but this has perhaps increased the need to, and shed a light on um, the importance of things like empathy, care, uh, developing people. It was always there, but perhaps we didn't pay as much attention as, as we could have, right? Um, so, for instance, uh, we have um, uh, regular, you know, we have these yearly uh, engagement scores, but then uh, we've also now uh, put in place, you know, weekly touch points um, and uh, pulse checks every month, etc., to really listen to the organization because no individual, no two individuals are the same and people have different needs. Uh, and that's partly the reason for the for the attrition, right? People are trying to figure out um, uh, that that uh, match, right? Um, so I think uh, the shift is that it's put a lot more focus on things like empathy, care, um, uh, development plans, and, and really personalize people's growth. Um, um, uh, whereas, uh, you know, in, in the past, we may not have put as much focus on it. Um, this also results in the need to then ensure middle management have the skills, the bandwidth um, to play this role because they play an absolutely pivotal role, right? They're the glue that holds the organization together, really. So we need to make sure that our middle managers are equipped, um, are upskilled as well um, around things like fostering psychological safety and uh, mentoring, coaching, etc. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And uh, Shaheen, when we come back, let's talk about any exit interviews you might have done. Yes, people wanted to leave, but as part of the process, workforce management process, exit interviews are also conducted, or you might even have had unofficial conversation. You did touch that people got a wake-up call, but are there any uh, insights that were shared by them which would have organizations or which requires organizations to make some foundational changes so that the leakage is minimized or even stopped? So uh, we'll come back, please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. 
Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. Listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Shareen, when we look at uh, these exits, have you had a chance or has your team had a chance to talk officially or unofficially with the people? And do you see a pattern? Yeah, some interesting themes, Sanjog. So um, firstly, it's around pay, um, especially in hubs such as uh, Bangalore in India, um, uh, in in different industries. So for instance, IT in trading is pretty niche um, and you can't benchmark IT in trading against um, whatever IT in retail, right? Because your competitors are, uh, hedge funds, investment banks, etc., and 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 you got to meet that. So the first aha moment for us was around um, certain roles within trading IT, which is quite niche to trading, uh, and that pay gap or needing to have competitive pay um, uh, linked to pay as well is around benchmarking or or being competitive in hubs. Um, so, so pay came up um, as a big lever. Um, the others were things like growth. And also, hey, there are nuances across uh, uh, gender, generation, um, and, and cultural needs, put it that way, or, or cultural uh, uh, themes, right? So, for instance... We saw in some of the uh, younger uh, folks, uh, they, they placed a lot of importance on getting sufficient opportunities for growth. Uh, and opportunities for growth include things like mentoring, coaching, um, uh, stretch assignments, uh, training on and off the job, upskilling, uh, you know, the right certification, time off to do uh, those things, etc. So that was a big theme. Um, flexibility was another theme, um, and, and no surprise, you know, largely with uh, working mothers, for instance, um, uh, who have uh, a need for childcare, etc. So, um, but actually, flexibility came came in across the board, right? So. <laughs> I guess that you don't find many people who say that you don't want flexibility, put it that way. Who's going to pass up an opportunity to work from whatever Barbados, right? I guess. Um, so remote working, hybrid working. Um, and I think if we unpack that at the heart of it, it's about owning or taking back custody of your time, owning deliverables and and, and being given the flexibility to to deliver in a way um, uh, that is true to that individual, right? Obviously, you know, um, taking into account uh, business needs as well. Uh, yeah, I have the office hours and overlaps and things, but people want flexibility of their time. I don't want to be sat at a desk nine to five. Um, if, you know, I want the flexibility to start at six and end at um, end earlier, or I want an hour uh, midday to go for a walk or whatever it might be. Um, I want uh, uh, two days from home. Um, so flexibility came in as a theme. Um, uh, the other piece was around culture, right? So this is a big uh, topic, but uh, uh, elements from there are uh, obviously I'd like to I'd like to work in a in a place that's obviously not toxic. 
uh, where it's it's healthy. Um, I'm surrounded by people I respect, uh, whom I'm inspired by, who I can learn from, um, uh, and having a sense of belonging. Um, and uh, whose work aligns with my values, right? So that's another key theme. I want to, I want my my work to align with my values, um, uh, and uh, centered around what that organization is doing, for instance, right? So obviously we're in oil and gas, and that in and of itself can be um, tricky. Uh, but for instance, folks have said, look, um, I, I like the sustainability element that gives me um, an opportunity to, to make a difference there. Um, obviously, if that wasn't there, you know, some people might, might make a different choice as an example, right? And we respect that. So, uh, of course, you know, when people are leaving the organization, they might be joining elsewhere. And that's how the whole workforce uh you know, is coming up and, or it's always developed that way. And yes, there would be new talent that you would like to bring and develop, but at, at different levels, you definitely need people with experience who will be coming from elsewhere. But then as you are trying to look for those people, either as a backfill or the new capabilities you want to bring into the companies, what would you do first with the organization to get it ready to attract people so they stay? because you don't want the revolving door either. Yeah, there's stuff around policies. So pay, um, uh, flexible work policy, um, uh, uh, growth, for instance, obviously spending money on things like um, uh, upskilling, et cetera. Um, uh, there are also elements that uh, leadership can, can, can do, right? So for instance, and it doesn't have to cost money. So for instance, we've got, mentoring circles and a coaching system and a buddy system, right? So I think um, it's a combination of both. So policy as well as leadership. Um, uh, uh, in some scenarios, we've also... Uh, so I'm, I'm led to look at this um, from a marketing lens, right? So if we, if we look at segmentation, um, I think we should treat individuals as a segment of one, right? As a as an individual, and try and align their needs and wants and aspirations to what we have as an organization. And and in some cases, we have um, uh, wiggle room, right, to to work outside of the system slightly. And and uh, and I think that's important as well. I think having um, an open mind and that willingness um, to nudge. Um, to nudge and create um, uh, new offers uh, to respond to the market is equally important. I think in the past, we were a little bit perhaps too rigid, uh, uh, obviously being in a large organization, but I, I see a greater willingness to experiment, to explore uh, and to curate. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be key in the future as well. So one is to, of course, get ready yourself. How would you tweak, not fundamentally change, but tweak your ability to filter people as you go through the recruitment process that there is a better match and you bring in people who, if their needs are met and you know the softer needs and of course other pay and other needs are met, they would actually stay. There is no guarantee, but has the benchmark changed for who is supposed to be a keeper now? That's a really interesting question, Sanjay. So I was reflecting on, hey, uh, which instances have led to the greatest retention? Um, and, and what I realized was the most effective dip- in, in many cases, the most effective recruitment channel was through word of mouth. Um, yes, we get good uh, results uh, when we post roles, etc. However, um, the greatest uh, fit and resulting retention uh, has come uh, from word of mouth. So, for instance, if someone in the team, so if we're hiring, let's say, a data scientist into one of our uh, into one of our product teams. 
um, uh, members of the team who reached out to their network um, to bring in someone whom they think could be a good fit for the team has resulted in uh, a much higher level of fit. I think the reason for that is a, a few layers, right? So first, um, they're hearing from someone who's familiar to them, obviously. So there's a basic level of trust. Um, uh, and that results in, you know, um, confidence. Um, they probably have a good relationship or a decent relationship with the person. And knowing that that person is also going to be part of the team um, uh, creates more reason to believe and excitement. Um, they also hear the unfiltered truth uh, at very transparently of the, the, the culture, the situation, the role, the challenges, the nuances, the, um, uh, the, the positives and the negatives. Um, so that when they come in, they come in very informed. They've got a familiar face and a softer landing and they're welcomed uh, uh, to the team because in a way there's already that pre-filter from the folks on the ground in and of itself. So I found that word of mouth has been very um, effective. Um, obviously, uh, the other is, is um, you can't hide from pay. Look, if, if you don't tweak pay policies, then uh, you, you're going to get the best, you can have the best people, but you're not going to be able to attract them nor retain them. Um, so yeah, word of mouth actually, don't underestimate that. And that's been a, a, a very, very effective uh, channel for us. And are there any specific characteristics of keepers which you saw earlier? And are you seeing that changing now? Um, no material difference, right? So it's still the high performers with great attitude uh, who can bring in and that extent, that wider lens and, and increase the uh, uh, level of, of competence and efficiency and effectiveness of the team. Um, personally, through my journey, I've learned that it's never a good idea to retain, you know, these brilliant jerks, um, so to speak, right? So folks who are very high performing, uh, but perhaps who's who, who's a, a little bit toxic or, or brings a negative energy that really brings down uh, the entire team and it spreads like cancer to other teams and other parts of the of the organization as well. So my my personal learning has been: do not, however tempting that might be, my best person. You know, we need uh, uh, absolute machine t churning out uh, features, an absolute star running projects, etc. But the cost of the in the uh, overall cost to the organization is is significant, and it, it will take time to then repair that and heal that and turn culture around, which is much harder to do. So, if you were to look at IT, I mean, of course, uh, IT has become the DNA for most organizations. But and then also for that matter, human capital management, HCM is a function which is gaining steam. And there are a lot of companies who are, you know, focusing in on it and or building and are setting up systems to support this function. Um, so besides the software part, where all do you think IT has been able to step up in uh, in helping the organization with respect to great attrition? Uh, that's an interesting one. So uh, with the push towards digitalization, there is a need to upskill the entire organization to become a lot more digital savvy. Um, so I'm seeing a natural interest in technology coming from across the organization and a natural interest uh, to, to collaborate and build products, et cetera. So I think IT can be um, a spokesperson um, uh, in helping to attract uh, folks who are uh, tech savvy, obviously that's what the organization needs. Um, and also partnering with um, to upskill the organization. Um, so I've seen, for instance, folks who maybe joined in a commercial capacity, but because of 
a partnership, you know, working closely and partnering up with uh, uh, with some folks in IT, uh, uh, developed a deep love for data science uh, and quant uh, and decided to change careers even, right? So I think IT can be, uh, has the opportunity to really uh, be a spokesperson um, uh, is to the organization to attract folks um, uh, to the digital space, among others. Obviously, the <coughs> the tech the tech would help. Um, sorry, <coughs> the tech would help, right? So, providing data and analytics um, around. Um, uh, people management. Um, uh, uh, one example is, hey, instead of exit interviews, why don't we do stay interviews and let's collect the data around that um, and analyze um, and, and, and uh, uh, look at it in different dimensions across gender, gender across um, age, across teams, across roles, across countries, and, and see if we can find patterns um, on why people are staying and then maybe double down on that. Uh, or maybe do analytics around propensity to to leave um, through these pulse checks. Hey, you know, the scores are going down in, in this areas. What's going on there? Um, okay, is it workload? Right. So then let's do something about workload. So it gives us the opportunity then to intervene, right, um, earlier as well. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's look at... Uh, the scenario that we have today is we may invariably have be having fewer people to do the job. And while we turn around the ship and try to build our better processes, better approaches, better culture to attract the people and backfill, the work still needs to get done. So while not converting it into a scrambling match, but would it make sense for us to fundamentally rethink our processes and workflow so that the dependence on people or larger number of people is reduced to a fewer number of people so that we are in case of contingencies like this, we are able to shift to a plan B and continue the, um, you know, the work for the business as usual while we go ahead and handle such disruptions more elegantly. Is there a possibility? If yes, what processes and workflows need to be tinkered and where can technology help? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Shireen, we still have to get the work done. And yes, it is... Uh, good that we are looking at everything as an opportunity, but does business KPI, does Wall Street, does any other uh, hard metric driven uh, places where business is measured, they are not going to cut you any slack. So you got to keep the work going. How's the work being handled today when you have suddenly a vacuum created because of lack of people? And how are you planning to fix it so that next time, if at all that happens, and we cannot say if it's a matter of when, because some other disruption could come along, you'd be better prepared to handle things. And, and therein lies the wisdom in and of itself, right? So we've created a scenario where we have a vacuum, where we have a revolving door. We need to mitigate that. Um, so it's a short-term view and a long-term view. Right. So first, um, 
I've learned the hard way that it's about having the right size team. Under-resourcing leads to burnout, disengaged people, lack of backups. And if someone leaves, uh, you come to a grinding halt potentially, but you still need the rest of the team. So what you end up with is having the burn rate without the output. Um, so that the cost of that is far greater than the cost of then having the right size team have um, uh, well, potentially one or two ex uh, not extra people, but have the right people, right? Don't scrounge on headcount. Have the right, have a right size team to mitigate these scenarios. So, what do I mean by that, right? So, you could very well combine roles, um, uh, full stack, for instance. But if you've got one person who's full stack, you've got a key man risk. Um, so for me, the first thing is really think about having the right size team and right sized here means sufficient backup, sufficient succession planning as well. Uh, a good mix of senior versus junior folks. Um, uh, and there's other levers that we can use to reduce uh, or to find savings, right? So for instance, uh, location, uh, um, um, uh, efficiencies in how we do things. So for instance, optimize ways of working, right? So reduce time on admin, automate where possible, leverage, right? Bag, borrow and steal um, from uh, other teams uh, outside, reduce meetings, reduce emails, reduce um, stuff that are urgent but not necessarily important. So we used to spend just ridiculous amounts of time on status reports and you have different types of status reports to different audiences. You, the organization was having to key in information in three similar, same information in, in, in three different um, reports, you know, one in the system and another on a spreadsheet and another on a slide um, uh, and another, you know, you do it weekly and another you do it uh, twice a month. This is an incredible amount of time spent on fat. That's where we should double down and optimize ways of working to find efficiencies, right? Can you get a software that allows you to Key the thing, the key in the thing once, and then generate reports uh, automatically thereafter. Can you maybe can you even remove the need to generate reports? Can you have your stakeholders self-serve? As an example, can you have your stakeholders join existing meetings, for instance, without creating a new one just for a status report? Can we not need to meet if it's just to update people on what's going on uh, as opposed to meet where we need a decision and can we maybe reduce that to half an hour with pre-work and prep um, etc right so I think it's about finding um, efficiencies in the way we work uh, reducing removing really fat and waste uh, but not at the same time, not scrounging on headcount. So very important, make sure you have the right capabilities and skills spread across the team, the right size so that uh, people, so that it's also sustainable, right? So we also had folks falling ill on COVID um, and, and that made us realize, okay, this is costing us so much more than if we would just get to other to additional folks as, uh, as backup that would enable us to continue without having to pause and still incur that burn rate, as an example. Now, while we talk about uh, business uh, as a whole, and of course, there would be some overarching strategies you're going to deploy, come to IT, a, a unique animal in itself, most uh, dynamic, I would say, with a lot of opportunity as well as a requirement for IT to pivot and to accelerate and to innovate. You name it, IT deals with it. When we have that much volatility, not uncertainty, but perhaps volatility 
and shifts that are expected out of IT, while IT comes steps up and helps with this great attrition for the rest of the organization, how does it look within and rethink its own makeup so that the people who almost always have a spilling plate, a lot of work and variety of work, a volume and variety and the velocity in which the work comes to them, that is rethought so that such attrition or subsequent disruptions less and less impacts it because that's becoming literally the DNA and the foundational layer of any organization. Yeah, I mean, it's it's monumentally important. Um, we've had to really sharpen our focus. So previously we would, we would be hasty. Um, so, and, and that results in a short-term focus. Um, hey, we need this team to roll out this product yesterday. So scramble to find the people. Um, but obviously with that, short-term lens, you're not always going to get the right mix of people. Um, and, then, and then you form a team that might be uh, not uh, as, as optimum, um, and then you need to dismantle it and pivot. And, and So I think what we've learned is to make speed and not haste. What does that mean? So we've put a lot more focus on planning and readiness. So we've come up with like a 10-point um, list, if you like, uh, of what needs to happen before we even think about putting a team together, right? Uh, and, and some of these questions also help us sharpen up um, uh, whether we need to do this or not, actually, in, in the first place, right? Why are we doing this? What is that? what is the problem statement? Are we clear uh, on, on the problem? Is this the right question to ask? Uh, because what we found is at times with uh, uh, what seems like a good idea and what seems instinctive uh, may not actually yield um, the right level of business value and benefits. Uh, for, for instance, hey, you know, we shouldn't be using spreadsheets to, to for, I'm making this up, right? To deliver multi-million dollar cargos as an example. Yeah, okay, that feels right. Um, but actually, what problem are we trying to solve? What's, what is inherently the problem with spreadsheets? Because spreadsheets can be a perfectly good tool. Um, yeah, but it's the year 2020, right? Uh, how, can we, how can we not have a system for this? Why would we need a system for this, right? So it's really challenging ourselves and asking really obvious questions as well to make sure that uh, as an organization, we are working first and foremost on the right um, problems. Um, we've also got a, a much bigger shift around business readiness as well, because we can't do this alone. And, and for it to be successful, we do need to partner up with the business um, and folks uh, around uh, the commercial teams and other teams. Um, and they too, in turn, need to plan for it, right? So this, these um, um, improvements and, and, and projects that cost a lot of money may not uh, uh, we, we may not be able to resource it from the business side by by bringing folks externally right you might need to put your best people on it you might need to put the folks who has the most knowledge in the organization on it to to pair up uh, as, as product owner for instance and and drive um, the the product vision you know if you bring someone in from um, from outside the company they may not have that knowledge so what we've learned as well is that the, the business need to also up the planning game um, and backfill, et cetera, and then knock-on effects. Um, uh, and in, in, in situations where it's volatile, as you've rightly pointed, um, we found ourselves um, not being able to or needing to, to pause projects, uh, not because we've lost a whole bunch of people due to attrition, but because... Uh, the organization um, is strained, right? So planning on the business side, um, uh, being clear, being 
being slightly fascist even uh, around uh, value um, and, and business readiness that really helps to set us up to succeed. Um, because the last thing you want is to start this thing and then you don't have, you know, someone from legal or finance or procurement or um, settlements, et cetera, where, where they're needed. And then that causes a massive delay and that, that just burns and wastes money. So those are some of the focus areas that we've tried to double down on um, to help set us up to succeed um, in, in, these, in these instances. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And while we are talking about the IT department, let's also talk automation. I know automation has been discussed to death in multiple contexts. In an organization where you are trying to get the repetitive work done and or something which even putting some AI, et cetera, so that some reasonably good rule-based and or AI-based automation if deployed could reduce our reliance on people, not 100%, but in specific areas where suppose similar attrition happens, you are not stranded. At least the business goes on. So should we start looking at a company which is not just having human workers, but also digital workers and our workforce, what we look at workforce today, could be rethought to have a good mix of human and digital workers in such a way that on one hand, it reduces our uh, reliance on humans alone and get some of those mission critical things keep happening if in case of such disruption. And secondly, also free up those people. Let's stick to IT for now in the IT department, free up those people who already have a spilling plate to have less on their plate relatively. So they have a breather. They feel that they are also having a life versus just working and, and give them a chance to truly grow and come out of the grind. What is your take on it, uh, Shareen, here? And, and what do you think we can do in this case to use all these buzzwords, AI and automation? Rightfully, I mean, they, they have created value, but in this case, how can they be exploited? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Shareen, when we look at uh, AI and automation, nothing new. But in this context of leading IT during the great attrition, could there be a, a creative uh, use and of, uh, of this AI and automation related technology or anything else which will set the right foundation? Because now technology department is eating its own medicine. That's a great angle, Sanjog, and, and you've hit the nail on the head, right? So one of the greatest points of frustration in the organization is inefficiencies, not having the right tools and processes um, to do their job, right? So bureaucracy, things take too long, there are too many approvals, um, yeah, we've, we've made things slow, um, so absolutely, I think we need to build the culture of um, uh, optimizing, right? Um, and in order to be able to deliver on that, IT needs to be 
more flexible. I think processes have been put in place um, with a bit of the old school, right, of protecting the organization, uh, of keeping costs down, etc. However, that's that there needs to be the right balance. And sometimes we, we've gone a little bit too far in some instances. So absolutely, I think we need to empower the different teams to optimize and find efficiencies because um, uh, that innovation of workflow, of uh, improvements of efficiencies come from the ground and from the grassroots level. Um, uh, and our role as leaders is to help to make that happen, right? Um, and it can be something as seemingly silly as, hey, you know, I'm spending five hours a week on, on reports, right? Uh, that's a lot of time. Um, or it could be something a bit more fundamental as, you know, hey, this tool doesn't work and, and this is our corporate uh, accredited tool. Uh, can we use something else? Um, and in those instances, it's really having the courage to experiment, like, Instead of, you know, spending months and months, you know, getting different teams to assess and uh, write a report on, on what tool to use, just go ahead, try it out, try the new tool out in your small team, see if it works, and then roll that out to the rest of the organization. For instance, I'm massively simplifying this, but the, the, the sentiment behind it is around adding more flexibility, empowering the teams to optimize their own workflows and backing them up by, by giving them license to experiment and, and try and fail if we need, doesn't matter. Now, one is, of course, uh, as you mentioned, like pick up any tools, etc. But is there something fundamentally you would expect to do with your own workforce and use this particular turbulence as an opportunity to reset the way IT workers were invited in, the way they were treated, the way the work was assigned to them, the way they were measured, and uh, the way they are taken care of and are grown so that at least you build uh, immunity to such disruptions as much as possible, or at least reduce the amount of leakage that could happen within the IT workforce so your business keeps going, because frankly, all eyes are on IT. Yeah, so for us, this journey started a few years ago where we came to the realization that, look, IT is not a service provider and should not be treated as such to get more value um, the most value out of IT, really. IT should be a partner, a technology partner, um, and, and, and should have a seat at the table um, in co-creating um, business strategy from a technology, digital, and um, IT lens. So that partnership has started, and it's at varying degrees of success across the organization. Uh, we've made headway in, in some parts and uh, we lag behind in some, some other parts. But what that has allowed us to do is uh, co-create, um, is to have then better control, um, is to challenge and push back to make sure that we're making the right choices as an organization it allows us the ability to plan ahead, much ahead in terms of people, but also in terms of process, data, and tech. It allowed us to um, understand and drive home the importance of having the underlying processes ha go hand in hand with the tech. You can change your tech, but if your process is crap, you're still gonna have an inefficient um, workflow, so to speak. Um, it has also helped us understand the importance of data and building that in from the get-go um, of working hand-in-hand -hand with the business to um, understand, define um, from, from day one, really, the data strategy. And all of this adds up to efficiency gains. Um, it also gives us a view of capabilities needed within the organization. Um, um, uh, for instance, 
we have a big need for data architects um, uh, and and good data architects, folks who have uh, experiences in, in in different in businesses, etc. Where previously we hadn't really focused on that. Um, so yes, it has shaped um, the organization and continues to shape the organization. I think for me, Utopia really is where we reach a maturity point that allows us to combine digital and information technology. There, there should not be a digital ahead of digital and ahead of IT, right? That creates too much silo. Uh, for me, Utopia is where the two roles converge um, and is one, right? Uh, you, you, use, you come up with a, a digitally enabled solution, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still just tech, right? It's another word for tech. You need tech to be able to do stuff and improve stuff. That's what it is. Um, uh, and it's, it's about changing the narrative. So I think that's where I'd like to see us go personally. And I think that's where we're going to be more effective and, and remove organizational boundaries and silos, but also upskill the organization. Why have two roles when you can have one? Um, uh, so that's how I'm seeing it. So one last question, because uh, it starts with the leaders, given the strategy, et cetera, while you know, the people come all together, but there needs to be some shift or should there be an, is there a need to have any shift in the leadership mindset for them to take that, uh, this wake up call, this great attrition to also uh, as an opportunity and to best bring the, sh uh, the changes that we need to bring in an organization. How should leadership, that, that so-called discipline of leadership, be rethought, if at all? Uh, monumentally important. Look, many folks leave a line manager or leave a toxic environment, and the effects are far-reaching across the organization. Now, the opposite is also true. A leader who creates and crafts um, a culture that has high growth, high trust, people empowered yet challenged and supported, stretched um, as well um, uh, as well as mentored. Uh, this also cascades through the organization and beyond. So I think leadership is absolutely at the center of this whole thing. Um, and what is leadership, right? Like moments that matter, these moments of truth are a function of the multiple interactions that you have with individuals. So if the leader has a powerful, impactful, positive interaction with um, his or her team, that then cascades down to the organization as opposed to if middle management is miserable, that also cascades. So I think it starts with the leader um, and that permeates. Um, so it's, it's not about being nice, right? It's about being fair. It's about being, um, creating a healthy, um, happy workforce, right? Um, and that's a function of values, right? So it, uh, I think more so now than ever, servant leadership, um, fostering psychological safety, uh, is going to make a huge difference because people are already under duress in their personal lives. Uh, most of, you know, everyone's battling something. Um, and uh, moments of care can really make the difference um, in, in, in someone's day and, and, and week and, and career as well. That might be the, uh, uh, a show of goodwill there. Uh, could mean uh, you get the loyalty, you get um, people putting in extra and, and giving slightly more, et cetera. So I think the, the it's like compound interest, right? It multiplies. Um, so I think it starts uh, uh, with the leader. Um, it's always, it has always been important, but more so now. Um, also because people are working from home, you don't necessarily have that interaction. You might find it a little bit difficult to read the situation. So I think it's even more important to invest the time, enough time in engaging um, the teams uh, in a way that makes sense for them, right? So some folks might want to connect 
every week. Some folks might want to connect every month. Um, so it's also about leaders having that flexibility to suit your team style um, in a way that works for them. Um, I think some practical tips is, you know, really track employee engagement and staff happiness index by team um, and by individuals, really, um, so that we have that, that view. Um, I think that's an important, if you need to choose one thing to do, choose that. Once again, thank you so much, Shireen, for sharing your insights about how uh, IT leaders, CIOs, and even business leaders can come together to lead IT during this great attrition. Thank you. Thanks, Sanjay. It was a real pleasure. And uh, listeners, please uh, like us on uh, social media and subscribe to our podcasts as we are available on almost all major channels. So once again, thank you so much for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sancho Gall, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.